of our daily bread. Praise Him, the Lord of love. When living water satisfies the thirsty with of life, we'll take a cup of forevermore. 
was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no space for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your words to Great 
Oh, 
you would remain standing and get your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes. We get to start chapter 10 today, and so we will be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 1 through 4. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. You may have a seat. We're going to pray together. And as we do, uh, each Sunday we like to remember one of our missionaries uh, as we pray. And today we're going to be remembering Ed and Carla Trenner. They serve locally uh, here in Orange. Many of you probably know them and have been impacted by them. And uh, their mission is to help people live on mission. So uh, they help us to see the mission field that has come here to Orange County and to reach them with the gospel. So We're going to be praying for them and uh, for a morning together. So if you would, let's pray together. Father, we come to worship you this morning, and we know that we're not here because of anything in us or because there was anything special about us or good or that we're better than anyone else, but only because you acted in mercy and kindness and overflowing good to those who didn't deserve it. And so we rejoice and thank you this morning. Uh, Lord, we, we praise you that you've had mercy on us. We praise you that you are kind and you are patient and you are gentle. Even as uh, throughout this week, we grumbled and complained. We've hated others and been selfish. Uh, Lord, you, you are patient. You bear with our weaknesses. You love to rescue us when we are weak and needy. You carry our sorrows. You bore our griefs. You took the the punishment for our sin that should have fallen on us. And now we want to cast our cares on you because we know that you care for us. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would allow us to see you more clearly. We we want you to rip off the, the hardness and the scales that cover the eyes of our heart and help us to see your glory and to rejoice in it and to walk closely with you. And Father, we want to be the kind of husbands and wives that love one another selflessly, that care for one another, that build one another up. We want to be the kind of parents that, that raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We ask, Lord, that we would be the kind of children that that honor and obey our parents and, and the kind of siblings who, who love one another selflessly. We pray, Lord, that as we interact with our extended family and with our neighbors uh, close by, that you would help our lives, our words, our thoughts, our actions, the attitudes that we display to, to put you on display and to show the beauty of the fruit that comes from a, a life transformed by the gospel. Lord, we need you. We, we need your Holy Spirit to transform us. So do that work in us today. Continue to do it in us this week. And Father, we pray also for Ed and Carla, that, that in their ministry you would strengthen, encourage, give them wisdom, give them endurance, uh, give them love for one another in their marriage, give them fruit, Lord, as, as Ed gets to connect with pastors and young leaders and train them around the world and as they encourage us uh, to, to see the fields that are white for harvest around us. Uh, Lord, may their ministry bear eternal fruit. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and for his honor and his glory forever and ever. Amen. Thy wounded 
inside which flow be a sin the devil cure safe from wrath and make me so much for this morning. Thank you for the chance that we have to worship together and study your word together. We pray that this morning as Pastor Mike preaches from scripture, as we go through Ecclesiastes, Lord, please draw our hearts to your word and to your truth and help us to draw from it the truth that you desire for us to take and then apply to our lives. We pray that you would enable us to do that in your power and we thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us. We pray you would be glorified this morning. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I want you to picture this contrast. On one side, you have a baby sleeping at rest, safe and warm in its crib. So, a baby sleeping. And on the other side, a child throwing a tantrum or an adult in a fit of rage, uh, in a huff, doing a temper tantrum, or as they say in the South, pitching a fit. You see the contrast? A baby sleeping, peaceful, calm, cool, collected, warm, all is well, peace. And on the other side, pandemonium, chaos, crisis. Which do you resemble more often? Too often, more often than I want to admit, I resemble the, the non, 
the non-peaceful picture. Today, in Ecclesiastes 10, 1 through 4, we're going to see that wisdom stays calm while fools rage. Wisdom stay calm while fools rage. We're going to see senselessness and sensibility. Now, if I were to, to sum up all of Ecclesiastes so far, chapters 1 through 9, in, in one phrase it would be this. All self-sufficiency is off the table. This is what Solomon has been doing. Literally saying, every escape route that you have to self-sufficiency is gone. And it happened since the beginning of Ecclesiastes where we saw we, we can't figure this out. We don't understand. We don't know what to do. Only God knows. Only God satisfies. Only God saves. We see this over and over again in this, this wisdom book. All self-sufficiency off the table. It's like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.5, not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves to think of anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is Christ. We, we trust His sovereign sufficiency. We surrender to His control. And this is the pattern of life for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, especially those of us who find ourselves not so much like peaceful sleeping babies, but more like people having a temper, temper tantrum or pitching a fit. So chapters 1 through 9. Self-sufficiency off the table. You need to trust God's sufficiency. And then you get to chapters 10, 11, and 12. Last three chapters of this awesome book. And there are these three exhortations. They're very strong. In chapter 10, the exhortation is, be sensible. In chapter 11 is, be joyfully bold. And chapter 12, be godly. Be sensible, be joyfully bold, be godly. Now, by the grace of God, if, if things go according to plan, we have seven sermons left in Ecclesiastes. Three in chapter 10. Two in chapter 11, two in chapter 12. And we're going to see these strong exhortations built on the fact that all self-sufficiency is out the window. You cannot rely upon yourself. In fact, even last week we saw what wisdom can and cannot do and how valuable wisdom is, how good it is, how beautiful it is, but it is not ultimate. It cannot help you escape from death. It cannot ensure your success. It, it, it cannot save you. It cannot even eliminate the damages that sin brings. God is ultimate. God does all the ultimate things. And so your wisdom, while it is much better than foolishness, than folly, than senselessness, it is not ultimate, and you must trust God's sovereign sufficiency. What we're going to see today, I want you to see this in in these first four verses, as we kick off chapter 10, I want you to see four truths that are going to help you stay calm while fools rage. The first is the ruinous burden of foolishness in verse 1. The ruinous burden of foolishness. The second is the waywardness of foolishness in verse 2. And the third is the senselessness of foolishness in verse 3. And then verse 4, the answer to foolishness. So the ruinous burden, verse 1. The waywardness, verse 2. The senselessness, verse 3. And then the answer in verse 4. This is, this is where this passage takes us. And it's all about senselessness and sensibility. You don't want to be senseless. You want to be sensible. You want to be wise. You want to please God. All the things that are good, that's what you want. But there's this battle going on in each one of our hearts, and it really is rooted in the heart, as you'll see in this passage. 
These are not intellectual concerns. These are moral concerns. So let's talk, shall we, about dead flies. Verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Now we're not talking about you know, how to be careful doing your essential oils. Okay, This is not about how to have good odors and get rid of malodorous scents. Okay, This is not about what you actually smell. This is about foolishness and wisdom. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. That word for stench literally is a moral offense. A moral offense. Something God does not like. Something God is not pleased with. Something God disapproves of. And so, the verse tells us, a little folly. Just a smidge. Just a little bit. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It's heavier, it's weightier, it's ruinous. It is opposite of excellence. This is why you don't put your ultimate hope in wisdom. Like you could actually build yourself up to be wise enough to to not be foolish and just go your merry way and say, I did that. All self-sufficiency wiped off the table. And we have to grapple with the truth that one act of foolishness can ruin a lifetime of godliness. That one moment of foolishness can undo years and years, decades of good. We've seen it over and over and over again in human history. Dead flies make a perfumer's ointment give off a stench. It's a moral offense. A little folly, this moral offense, outweighs, because it's the opposite of excellent, it outweighs wisdom and honor. This is why you and I must daily trust for whatever we get to come from God's hand, not our own. That we trust the hand of God, the provision of God. The protection of God. You see, it is easier to make a stink than to make a sweet smell. It is easier to throw a tantrum and to get in a fit of rage and to pitch a fit than it is to quietly rest knowing that God is in control of everything. Jesus talked about weighty things. In Matthew 18, Jesus talked about a millstone. And the consequences of causing fellow believers to stumble. And if you look at Matthew 18, verse 1, Jesus' disciples are coming to him and asking the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, did they not know that God is the greatest in his own kingdom. And calling to him a child, and Jesus now uses the child as an example, he put the child in the midst of them and said this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, unless you repent and become dependent on me, trusting me, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, though, humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You're going to become like Christ. He's going to conform you into his image. You're going to be transformed by the grace of God in the gospel, trusting Christ's righteousness, not your own, trusting God's wisdom, not your own. And then Jesus said this, whoever received one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's, those are not verses about children's ministry, folks. I was a children's pastor for many years. 
People use this verse wrongly. Children are awesome. You shouldn't cause them to stumble. But you should cause no believer to stumble. And Jesus has used a child as an example. He says, you need to become, all of you, no matter what age you are, need to become like children. And anyone who's trusting in Christ, if you cause them to stumble, if you cause them to sin, it's going to be better if you had a huge millstone hung around your neck. That's how the Gentiles did their executions. That's how startling it was. You take the heaviest stone you can find, the millstone used for grinding grain, and you put it around someone's neck and throw them into a huge body of water as a, as a, as a consequence. And Jesus is saying that the consequences for foolishness and senselessness and causing other believers to stumble is worse than that. There's a spiritual consequence. How do we, how do we get out of the, of the rut of being the ones that too often throw a little folly into the mix? Again, the gospel gives us the answer. Hebrews 12 gives us the answer. Go, go to the, the book of Hebrews. And, and Hebrews 11 just has this awesome hall of faith, right? And all the people that God gave faith to, that they trusted him in the midst of these horrendous crises and chaos and all sorts of challenges in life. And now you get to chapter 12 of Hebrew, Hebrews, and it says this. Therefore, because of all that, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. What this is telling us is that you need to actually actively, on purpose, say no to sin and say yes to Christ and say no to yourself. Yes to God. This is what Jesus was getting at when he said in Matthew 16, 24, you want to follow me? You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That denial of self is not a one-time occurrence. It is over and over again as you live a life of repentance and as you trust Christ and His righteousness and you trust His strength. You actually say no to yourself and, and we all know how it goes. There's a sin that you keep falling into. There's a choice that you keep making and you, you keep saying, I'm going to stop that. I'm not going to do that anymore. What happens? In a moment, you start thinking about that. And you don't shut that thought off. And that thought then becomes a bit rooted in your heart. And it starts sounding good. And all the reasons you know that you shouldn't do that just go out the window. And the next thing you know, you're doing the thing that you said you wouldn't do. And you're making the choice that you, that you had pushed aside. And said, so this ruins me. Why would I want to do that? This was ruinous to my family. Why would I want to do that? But in the moment, we know how it is. The temptation to sin. And we give into it. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. We are to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and do what? Look to our own wisdom and our own strength and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? Absolutely not. We are to look to Christ. We are to, to rely on Jesus. We are to trust Him. What does it say? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, literally the author of our faith, and the one who sustains our faith. We look to Christ. It's the only way that you can shake the ruinous burden of foolishness. That's the first thing you see here. The ruinous burden that you don't want. You don't want to get caught by that. And it, and it goes on, and it talks about a waywardness now. A waywardness of foolishness. There's a burden, but then it just kind of, if you, if you coddle it, it'll keep going. Look at verse 2. Put your eyes on verse 2. A wise man's heart. Again, it's about morals. It's about a moral offense. It's the heart. It's rooted in the heart. It's not your mind. It's your heart. Inclines you to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, fool's heart to the left. 
This is not about politics, folks. I have heard people quote this about politics. No. What does it mean? In that culture, the right hand was the place of power and authority and honor and strength. Strength to save and strength to protect. The left hand was the hand of dishonor and disfavor and waywardness and wrong. But the right, the right hand, the way of righteousness, the way of God, the way of good, the way of His glory, to the wise man's heart. And again, this is a moral issue. It inclines him, it leads him to the place where there is power to save and protect. But a fool's heart goes wayward and goes into disfavor and goes into things of dishonor and goes into things that are wrong. Because there is a faulty moral underpinning of the heart. If you're a hiker, usually you stay on trail. It's the wise thing to do when you're a hiker. But if you want to bushwhack, it's what's called bushwhacking, where you go off trail, you need to be careful because there's a lot of dangers to bushwhacking. You can look it up on the internet. You can see that there are lists of the dangers of bushwhacking, of going off trail, of going wayward. Now, to the most extreme, you can step off a cliff. People have done that when they weren't being careful. They went off trail. Others step on snakes or they twist their, their ankle. It's just dangerous to go off trail. A lot of people do that spiritually. They say, I'm wise, I'm strong, I'm, I'm in a good place in my life. I can, I can say no to a bit of foolishness when it comes my way. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. We're not to go off trail. Ecclesiastes has already told us about the fool. Just all the way through. The fool is morally blind. Chapter 2, morally blind, lazy, chapter 4, disapproved by God, chapter 5, evil, loves evil things, chapter 7, and even in the last chapter, they, they refuse to listen to advice. You can go into the book of Proverbs and you can see over and over again, if you try to give a fool advice, he will push you away. If, they, if you try to correct a fool, they will attack you. If you've gotten to the place in your life where you will not take anyone's advice, you've gotten to the place in your life where you've got it wired and you've got all the answers and you only give advice, you're going off trail. You're in danger. Don't bushwhack, spiritually speaking. But instead... How would you counteract this? I found a place, a really well-known place in the Bible. Philippians 4, verse 8. Just go there, if, if you will, in your Bibles. Just look at Philippians chapter 4. I want you to see, it's probably a verse you've memorized. You know, some people will say, if someone tells them something, they'll say, whatever, I don't want to listen to you. These are six whatevers that you need to listen to and not just listen to and know and memorize, but actually practice, like live them. You probably know them well. If you're acquainted with the Bible, you probably know them well. Here's what Paul says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. So whatever is true rather than false, whatever is honorable rather than dishonorable, whatever is just rather than unjust, whatever is pure rather than impure, whatever is lovely rather than unlovely, whatever is commendable rather than what would be rejected, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your mind with it. Just fill your mind with, with those things. All the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. And excellent. 
Fill your mind with it. But don't stop there. Look at the next verse. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice it. Don't be just a hearer of the word who doesn't do it and deceives themselves, as James says. Don't be like that. Practice what you know is right and true. It will help you not go wayward. And, and you notice that Paul says, the things that you have seen and heard from me in me, like you're close in relationship with other believers who actually help you not go off trail? That you actually have like-minded believers that love Jesus and love the Word of God and, and love to do what is good and right and true and you're, you're going through daily life with them? Brothers and sisters in Christ who help you not go off trail? When you start to bushwhack, they're like, you know, I don't know if that's the best idea. I'm not going there too. Come, go with me and let's do this other thing that's better. The gossip kind of starts cropping up. The, the slander starts happening. Oh, we're just sharing. We're just talking. Or, hey, let's go do this or that. And, and you get this check in your spirit like, that doesn't seem right. But my believing friends are doing it, so maybe it's okay. No, you help each other stay on on trail, and not go wayward. You see, there's this ruinous burden, this, this waywardness, and what it leads to is a senselessness. Look at verse 3. Here's the third thing we see in this passage. The senselessness of foolishness that can't be hidden. It's, it's very detectable. Anyone with eyes and ears can see and hear it. The fool is so full of themselves, they can't hold themselves back. There is no disguise. Look at verse 3. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, heart, morally speaking. And he says to everyone, he's a fool. He doesn't walk around saying, hey everyone, I'm a fool. His actions show it. His words Betray it. You just, you just know. Fools are like walking around with a, with a bullhorn, with a megaphone, and they're just going on and on and on and on, and it's blaring in your ears. By the way, this one, I can make it do really annoying music if I want. I can make it do an alarm in your ear, and I decided early on I'm not going to do this. I'll do it to third hour, but not to you. I care about you too much to do that. A fool is like a, walking around with a megaphone surgically attached to their mouth, and all they can do is keep spouting off everything they know. And you know what happens when you, when you try to say something about it, don't you? They don't like that you said something about it. They'll even attack you. Again, Proverbs will tell you. They'll, they'll attack you for it. They'll, they'll say all sorts of things about you for trying to correct them. Now, I know that all of you are thinking about someone else right now. God forbid that you're thinking of me, but some of my family might be. Like I said earlier, that, that, that picture of a, of a sleeping child at peace versus the person all stirred up and angry and in a huff. I, I resemble that picture too often. But it's interesting that we all think of someone else. And, you know, this passage, this, this book, <laughs> this book <laughs> makes me do soul searching every single day. Especially because I would presume to even stand up here and explain and proclaim it. I'm telling you. My dad used to say this. He used to say, if the shoe fits, wear it. If there's a resemblance to anything you're hearing in here to you, don't push it aside. Don't just think about someone else that, that needs help 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a paper entitled On Stupidity. I know most of us were taught not to say the word stupid. So if you put off by the word stupidity, just say foolishness or senselessness. And remember, these are not intellectual concerns. You can be a genius and be a fool. For example, Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm 53, verse 1, both say the same thing. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That fool might be a genius. I have friends that are atheists who are much smarter than me and have a much higher IQ than me. It's not about intellect. This is about moral bankruptcy. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It means they're spiritually bankrupt. In fact, Psalm 10, verse 4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Like they're making plans all the time, and God's not in the picture. And by the way, sidebar for just a moment, isn't it very easy? If you're a professing believer, you say, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus. Is it not easy to live like a functional atheist on a daily basis where you could even read your Bible for five minutes or, or an hour and close it and, and then live the rest of your day not bringing the Bible to bear but actually being foolish? We all know it's possible. We've all done it. Maybe the youngest among, among us haven't. The kids get to to skate on this one. But seriously, it, it, you know what I'm saying. But here's what Bonhoeffer said. He said, against stupidity, we are defenseless. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment are not believed. The person becomes critical. Facts are pushed aside. The person is utterly self-satisfied and being easily irritated becomes dangerous by going on the attack senseless and dangerous. Maybe not in front of you, but this describes me too often. And you may see a resemblance in your own heart. This is why we cannot rely upon our own wisdom. We must trust God's sovereign sufficiency and His provision of wisdom. Bonhoeffer said, it, the essence is not an intellectual defect, but a human one. It's one of the heart. It's a moral issue. And the word of the Bible that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom declares that the internal liberation of human beings to live the responsible life before God is the only genuine way to overcome stupidity. Let me repeat that. The internal liberation of human beings to live the responsible life before God is the only genuine way to overcome stupidity. Jesus put it this way, you must be born again. You must be regenerated by God. You, you must be saved. You must know Christ. You must believe in Him. You must trust Him and not yourself. You must trust Him and not your own righteousness. There is this senselessness that overcomes. And it can't be hidden. Let me take you to one place in, the Pro in Proverbs that seems to be a bit of a puzzle. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. One verse says one thing, the next verse says another thing, and you, you, get, you do get a little confused by it. Here it is. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Don't get in a big argument with a fool because they're going to fight you, and they're going to probably... Um, drag you down to their level. But look at the next verse. I want you to look at the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So verse 4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Don't get in a big argument with the fool, but you do need to show the truth. You do need to gently correct lest he think that you agree. What happens with most people that we know, and even ourselves, that when we are being foolish and we don't listen to someone or people, what will happen is no one will actually say something. Everyone's afraid because of the track record, and they know they're going to 
people are going to get really angry at them, so they don't say anything. And then they walk away thinking they're right. But again, don't go thinking about too many other people right now. There's an answer to the ruinous nature, to the waywardness, to the senselessness. And it's found in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Here's the answer. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. Stay right where you're at. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Calmness. Stay calm. Be calm. Be at peace. Be like that sleeping baby asleep in the will of God, trusting God. Now, this is the hardest thing in the world to do. That's why you can't trust yourself for this and, and be self-sufficient. You must trust Christ. The way to be calm in chaos and crisis is to apply wisdom as you rely on Christ. Not rely on yourself. The answer is to stay calm. The Hebrew word there for calm is, comes from the word for medicine, and it comes from the idea of healing. That there would be healing, that there would be help, that there would be peace given by God. The way to be calm in chaos. Even if you're angry. Even if you're hurt. Even if you're lonely. Even if you're afraid. Because all of those emotions come out when you're, when you're in the crisis and you're in the chaos. Even if you are afraid. Even if you are lonely. Even if you are sad. Even if you are hurt. And many of you might be. The answer is to rely on Christ to help you be calm instead of lashing out. It only causes regrets to lash out. We all know that. Psalm 46.10, the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Moses got a good word from God in the midst of great upheaval and contentiousness among the people and crisis and chaos. What did God say to Moses in Exodus 33, 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, calmness, peace, healing. Jesus said it in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden with this burden. and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Healing. Help. Calmness. Even peace. There is a ruinous burden. There is a waywardness. There is a senselessness. And the answer is for the wise to stay calm Imply wisdom as you rely on Christ. And I think what, what Solomon is, is pointing us to here is he's saying, I think, quite strongly, grow up. Grow up. Mature. Make, make progress. As Paul said to Timothy, make, make sure your progress is evident to all. The foolishness is, is evident, but so can be the progress that you make in Christ as you walk with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and you Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. James asks the question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Show. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, the, the gentleness of wisdom. In Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, give us this. For the grace of God has appeared. Christ Jesus has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, literally sensibly, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for Christ. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The psalmist said in Psalm 133, said, my soul is like a weaned child within me. My soul is like a weaned child. What's a weaned child? One that no longer needs its, its mother's milk, but has gone on to start having solid food and making growth and growing in wisdom. And the idea is your soul can be at peace like a, a sleeping child in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis, because you apply wisdom as you rely on Christ, our hope. Lord, we praise you. This is true. We thank you that the gospel changes our hearts again and again and again. We want to surrender, Lord, to your sovereign goodness and sufficiency and adequacy in our life. Lord, you are enough. And thank you, Lord, for so many brothers and sisters in Christ to travel this road with. May we be sensible. May we be calm in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're able, please stand with us as we close singing together. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, in darkness Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And though we'll see how great, how great is our God. How great.
He's a God. Sing with me and I'll pray. He's a God. All will see how great is our God. good for our souls to praise the name of Jesus, to praise God's name, to, uh, to do this together with fellow believers. It is good for our souls. Amen? Amen. Make sure that you read this card, please. This card. Read it. Memorize it. Next week, that new schedule will start. Services at the same time, but classes beginning for kids and all the way up to the highest age that's here. And we love all ages being together here on campus, and uh, we'll keep doing what we can do uh, by the grace of God. Also, men, I want to see you under here, under this tent, next Saturday morning at the late hour of 8 a.m. Is it 8 a.m., right? It's like we're not going earlier than that, I guess. So I'll be here at 8. It's not that early, okay? Uh, 8 a.m., we're going to be talking about how to equip your household to not cave in on God's sovereignty and on the Word of God, which is happening a lot. And we're going to uh, help equip you uh, to lead well and lead as servants. Anyway, make sure you sign up online. Let's end the service with Jude 24 and 25. Love these verses. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And Lord, praise you. We praise your name. We thank you for how good and great you are. Lord, yours is the glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.